Welcome to episode 102, wait, 103, 103, boom, nailed it already, of The Future Belongs to Creators. I am your co-host, Miguel, along with Charlie and Haley. Super excited for today. This is our first Q&A session, so hope everybody brought a lot of cues. For us to A? <laughs> nope, nope, I wasn't going to finish it, but... Uh. I'm not on the hook for saying it, so that's cool. Um, <laughs> anyway, I I don't know where to go after that. Uh, well, no, I threw it off. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> What'd you guys do during the two and a half minute wait time? Mm, remind you to record. I was actually yeah reminding you to record, and also I posted in our work Slack. Record. <laughs> hold on. Record. Oh my god. <laughs> So for people who are listening now, <laughs> Haley will eventually sound good. Just wait a minute. I'm recording now, guys. Wonderful. Very professional. <laughs> I was trying to sign a contract with two and a half minutes. I like made it. But the best part about it is I was in hello sign. And for whatever reason, my hello sign defaults to Italian. So I try have to do it in Italian but it's, what? but I made it. I did it. I just downloaded it, but I actually signed the document within the two and a half minutes while we were waiting in a different language. I am not entirely sure if that was a good idea. So I'm not sure if I should congratulate <laughs> you on that or not, but no, but hey. just the, just the user interface was in Italian. My document that I need to sign is in English. Okay. Okay. That's good. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. yeah. I'm not anyone's legal counsel, but that sounds pretty fraught. First question in from Janessa, why is it in Italian? <laughs> I don't know. But every time I hit the flip to switch back to English, it defaults back to Italian. So I just, I've, I don't know. It's like a game now. I think I'm, I'm starting to spot a trend with you and software, Haley, because <laughs> Haley also has issues uploading her side of the recording of our episodes to Dropbox. So oh, yeah, it's okay, guys. I've only been in tech for like 10 years. <laughs> That's how it works. Well, what we're doing today, like today we're here to hang out with you. So it's going to be like a more chill, like less focused stream, I guess, than our um, usual episodes are. But we're here to answer your questions about about the creator economy, about being a creator, growing an audience, earning an income as a creator, all of that stuff. So if there's anything that's on your mind, like now is when we are here to answer it. And I have one question that came through uh, on Twitter that I can kick us off with while anyone in the chat is thinking about a question. Um, someone asked what the best way is to get people from your following you on Twitter to signing up for your email list. Step one, don't do it in Italian unless your audience is Italian. Okay, great. Uh, <laughs> that's just from one of the pros. From solid, solid advice. Yep. yep, love it. This is a problem though that I faced when I was getting started as a creator was porting your audience really over to a different platform, like getting them to be interested in following you somewhere else. It's like, okay, you've got them on the hook here on Twitter. How do you now get them over onto your email list, you know, or onto anything else that, that you're doing? Which like side note, one of the benefits of having the email list is that you can easily contact them about all the new things that you're doing. So I just wanna give that pitch there. But I don't know, um, what do you recommend to creators for doing this? Miguel? Oh, okay. I just thought I, I thought I was talking a lot, so I was just trying to, you know, not hog all the air in the room. Well, you said something that I immediately thought was that, you know, obviously having email addresses makes things very portable. It feels like it gives you more ownership of your audience, which we've talked about this in our last couple of podcasts. But yeah, I, I mean, obviously it's hard because some people just prefer a certain medium to consume content. 
but um, hopefully the kind of audience that you have is a really tight one that just likes you and just wants to experience what you can do regardless of the medium. So I guess that's the dream. But yeah, I mean, the nice thing about, uh, you know, emails is that you can create newsletters. You can obviously send emails to those people and tell them about what's going on and what you're doing. I don't know. What do you think, Haley? I think offering something unique in your emails and letting them know that it's only going to be in your emails is a pretty easy way to do that. Um, I'm, to be honest, this might be controversial here. I don't play among us and I also don't tweet very often. So I don't know if I'm the best person to answer this question specifically about Twitter, but you only have so many parameters, right? Within Twitter that you can provide unless you're threading lots of things. And I don't think that from a platform perspective, it's a great place to have like read long form content. I don't think that the engagement is really that great. So by offering something unique that your super fans, right, on Twitter are not going to get on Twitter and just saying very mm. blatantly, this is a value that I provide over email. And then a landing page, link to a landing page is a great, is a great first step. I've found that I've had success with people signing up to my weekly newsletter that I started. Ooh, when did I start it? I believe we're at issue like 14 now. So it must've been that many weeks ago. Um, (laughs) And I have used the newsletter feed option in ConvertKit on my landing page so that the latest issue is always displayed there. It's not a full feed. So you don't see all of the past issues because I kind of want to like give people an incentive to actually be on the list, not just read them on the landing page but they can see an example of the prior content, right? And so each week I will sort of tweet about like what my main thing was that was in that episode issue of my newsletter and be like, if you want to read it or sign up to like get the next one in your inbox, then you can do it on the landing page. And I've had good success with getting people over there with that because yeah, I think threads especially can be a good way to like start something and then drop your sign up link to like find out more could be a good way to make that happen on Twitter. Um, Cause you're right. It's not for long form. Yeah. Barrett does that actually really well where he'll do make a statement and then do one, two, three, four in the thread. But if you have a list of like one, two, three, four, and you hold number five for something very important, you're like, ah, sign up to my email newsletter to get number five. That could be a way that you could do it as well. Be a little enticing. <laughs> could be, I don't know guys. Janessa asked this and I'm going to be honest. I had to Google ducats. Did you know what a ducat is? Nope. Small ducks, like little baby ducks. <laughs> well, <laughs> the internet says noun, cash, money, or bills, um, various gold coins formerly used in certain European countries. So we learned something, and this is a good question in general. Like, how do you start making money as a creator? Haley, with um, Happy Happy Houseplant, your, your side hustle that you have going on, you started earning money from it pretty quickly, right? Like with, with products on that. Yeah. Um, so my partner, Mandy, um, on happy, happy houseplant already had a really established audience. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. while I, I mean, to be honest, that's why she had already built a brand that, uh, had established her other brand is called vintage revivals. Uh, and she sold plant related things Mm. on that brand all the time. So what we did is we kind of took her audience from vintage revivals that only cared about plant related content, obviously spun it off into happy, happy house plant and focused on creating both digital and physical goods. 
we just launched with physical goods. Mm-hmm. And so we launched specifically with uh, propagation planters as well as plant food. And the plant food uh, for our community has been massive. Like I said, we did start making money right away um, and, and pretty significant amounts as well, but it was really due to the loyalty of her audience on her other platform. Right. Well, I guess the advice we can take from that then is like to start with, you got to focus on that audience, right? Like you can't start and just sell something straight away. Like maybe you got to start by cultivating that trust and that loyalty first so that when you have something to launch, it goes smoothly like yours did. Yeah. Well, we launched before we sold physical goods, right? Obviously we focused on like our audience lives on Instagram. So we focused on social really significantly Mm -hmm. um, early on and we were just providing value. Our pitch though, if you go on and you read plant related content anywhere on the internet, it's filled with a bunch of science words that I can't pronounce. And quite honestly, the average person, like you don't want to go and Charlie was just talking about fungus gnats, right? In one of her plants. Air all of my dirty laundry. (laughs) (laughs) And if she Googled, Googles how to get rid of fungus plants, honestly, it's just a bunch of overcomplicated information. Yes. And so happy, happy houseplants, like primary focus is to talk to people in the most simple terms ever and make a complicated thing really easy. And so we focused on just providing the same content in a much more easily consumable fashion, and then actually making people feel like they can do it and they can understand it. And fertilizing, when you go to the store, for example, you go to Home Depot and you're like, I'm going to fertilize my plant. It's just a bunch of, again, science words and you read the back and it's not clear instructions. And we just made this product so user-friendly and so simple that it resonated really well with our audience. So the real takeaway there is know your audience and know what your audience is struggling with. And our audience was struggling with understanding how to take care of plants because the content on the internet sucks. I love it. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it's figuring out like, what is that thing that you can do differently from everyone else, right? Mm -hmm. And, And do it in a special way. Yeah. That's super cool. Any thoughts on that, Miguel? Or should we move on to Corey's question? Well, uh, let's keep Corey waiting just a little longer. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. No, um, I was going to go in a slightly different direction. And I know that, Mm -hmm. you know, part of her question was getting started, right? And Mm -hmm. um, I know, right? There it is again. Okay. So it's hard (laughs) to start, right? So you spoke about the monetization part, but the hard to start part is one of the things that I feel like was one of the things that Ben was talking about. And also something that I think also that I, one of my takeaways from Nathan's approach when he first started writing was uh, just to kind of set small goals and constantly, you know, try to meet those small goals and try to go towards your your larger goal bit by bit. And as you do whatever it is that you want to do, you'll get better at it over time. You'll make mistakes. You'll learn from those mistakes. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. And then as you go, I feel like you'll start getting more acquainted with your audience. You'll get feedback. And your audience, I feel, will also steer you towards what they want. So it kind of goes back to what you guys were talking about, about knowing your audience is, you know, based on the questions that they ask, based on, you know, the comments that they make about what you're talking about, you're going to see what they're interested in and kind of what brought them to you in the first place and the hopes that they were going to get. And maybe they didn't quite get it from you at first, but once you start listening to that, you can sort of start tailoring it to the people that are you're attracting. And then you just sort of like snowball it from there, I would think. I also think that that listening point is interesting if there's that disconnect, like you mentioned, Miguel, you can also use it to 
change your audience if you want as well. Because early on on my YouTube channel, what I was hearing from my audience is like, I want a course about how to design. I want a tutorial video about how to use this software and how to do this thing. And I was like, hmm, interesting. That's not what I want to make. What do I do about this? (laughs) (laughs) You know? And so I had to choose not to listen in a way. Listening and knowing that that's what they were looking for helped me understand perhaps why some videos weren't performing as well so that I could sort of bridge the gaps between things. And I sort of show some software stuff in my vlogs, for example, so that there's a little bit of it in there. But yeah, you know, it's about what you want to do as well. Teddy in the chat just said this uh, in response to what you were saying too. Don't get ready, get started. And you know what? Mm -hmm. That connects really well to this question that Corey has asked. He said he's about to ship a landing page for his music and doesn't have a lead magnet yet, which is going to be an unreleased demo. Should he wait till he records one or just start collecting now? And like, let me bring up Teddy's comment again. (laughs) Don't get ready for it. Just get started. Honestly, that would be my advice for you, Corey, is just to, to put up a landing page and start collecting email addresses of anyone who's interested. Like capture the people who are interested without you giving them anything, that's fantastic. That's like your super fans, right? Like the people who would just wanna be there to follow your journey and support you, there's no need to wait. I agree with that. Also, what is the content that you could give them in the process of before you have that demo created, right? So if you're collecting 50, 100, you know, 1,000 emails, they might be interested in the process of creation for that demo. So it's just a... I think you can definitely target those super fans, like Charlie said, very specifically and tease them a little bit. Side note, I would sign up for that email list, Corey. So I think you should do it. <laughs> so we're here. Emily just uh, said something that I thought we could tie into this as well. They said, I do one for me and then I do mm, one for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I stole that from my friend, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of a way to kind of ride that line too, mm-hmm. where you kind of, you know, you hear what your audience is asking for, and maybe you can provide that. So that way they, you know, kind of get that, what what they're looking for from you, but then you kind of just, you can also try to ride that line and do something that you want to steer that audience that might be here for A, but you really think that they would really benefit or like B, which is what you're probably more passionate about. When when it comes to like, for example, music, you know, you have the kind of artists that you feel like, my experience has always been like, I really love an artist. I get their album. I love all the uh, songs on the album, listen to a thousand times and know every word. And then they come out with another album that I'm just like, all right, I'm so excited for more of that thing that I loved. And then they come out and the album is so different. And at first I'm like so off put by it. Cause I'm like, wait, no, I wanted more of the first album. What, what are you guys mm-hmm. doing? Like you've, you've changed, you've betrayed me. And then what happens mm-hmm. is like six months later, I'll like listen to it again. I'm like, this is better than the first one. This is great. Like, I like it more than the thing that I loved before because like, I feel like it took me a while because I had to get over that initial shock. And then eventually it just like, I fall in love with the artist all over again because they took me along with them on on their journey. And then it makes me grow as a consumer and also as an artist myself. All that to say is don't be afraid of doing what you're passionate about and don't just crank out stuff that people want you to put out because then you'll get burnt out and then you'll fall out of love with what you're doing. Yeah. I love that. Going back to the kind of happy, happy house plan example right now on the internet, house plants are such a, you know, they're such a huge thing. And we know our audience obviously really well. We've had a lot of people ask for more in-depth or like a lot more technical content. And we're, the answer is just no, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't, we're not talking to the plant experts. We're not talking to people that have humidifiers in every single room in their house. And like, I cannot keep certain plants alive, right? Like I, I, 
my side hustle is about keeping plants alive. And there are some plants that I just cannot keep alive. And I don't want those people in our audience because our audience is beginners, right? So I think knowing exactly what your audience wants is just, it's so important. Yeah. And I like what Emily mentioned about pivoting the language, like changing that up as well to yeah to speak to the different audience segments too. Miguel, maybe you will be the best place to answer this one from our from the technical side. This is we're getting more technical here. A question from Suzanne says, trying to understand what overrides what in ConvertKit sequences and automations. Days of the week or duration between emails? Unfortunately, I was trying to see if I could answer this, but it the question itself is a little vague. Like it's depends on the use case, does it? Right. Yeah. It just mm-hmm. I mean when it comes to like technical questions, I have to like physically look at what your setup is and everything that you've done because there's a lot of settings in ConvertKit where you can adjust, you know, this, that, or the other, which affects how things behave, when they behave, when they don't behave, when you think it's going to do one thing and it's not going to, it's going to do another. Sometimes it depends on when you turned a thing on and then when you turned it back off. So I don't want to give the wrong answer, but my, I guess my answer is, Email me at Miguel at convertkit.com <laughs> with your problem and your question and with as much as many like links to things as and be as specific as possible. And I will make sure that you get an answer. And you just gave your email out to the internet. So I hope you realize. Yeah, well, how hard is it to figure it out? It's like my first <laughs> yeah, name at ConvertKit, which is also anybody's email in this company. Oh, and you just so. gave our email address out too. <laughs> Actually, no, no, you just gave the other Haley's email oh, address. <laughs> so I'm safe. What are you, Nobody Haley knows J? My, Haley no, J? No, no, no. That's probably well, not. <laughs> <laughs> So last Friday I did a like live stream with some design content creator friends of mine and we had a bunch of people show up. It was super exciting to like, um, yeah, get, get designers interested in creating content because obviously that's something I'm very passionate about. But a question that a lot of people asked, and I'm curious for your thoughts on it, is how do you stop being camera shy? And I'm particularly interested in asking you too, because like, this is fairly new for you, right? To be regularly on camera like this in this podcast. How is it feeling? And like, I don't know, did you feel camera shy to start with the first few times you did it? Well, I have like a lot of answers to this question. Um, (laughs) So I host creator sessions and it requires me to be on camera and if you plopped me in the studio for creator sessions with all the cameras and the teleprompter and all that fun stuff, I look like a mad professional, you guys. I like, I don't look nervous for the most, maybe the first time, but I don't feel nervous. If you take me to now on the opposite side, if you take me to family photos and I'm trying to pose with like a friend or Alexis, actually, Charlie, this is a great do you remember when we were at the, in Paris in front of the Eiffel tower and mm-hmm. you and Alexis were taking these like super curated, you know, Instagram photos. And I was like, I don't know what to do with my body or my hands or my jacket. Like, I don't know how to pose for photos like that. I think that's because I have insecurities. I have certain insecurities elsewhere, but when I'm like in, when I'm in my job, right. Or when I'm in the setting in front of a camera, the people on the other side expect me to be professional. And for some reason that makes me feel far more comfortable that the other people on the other side don't know that I'm nervous. Charlie and Alexis, however, our former colleague, they knew that I was nervous 
And it made me uncomfortable that they knew that I was nervous and I was nervous. So I feel like just trying to remove those two things to feel like, to be like, nobody else knows that I'm nervous. And if they don't know that I'm nervous, then I can act not nervous. I don't know if that really answers this question, but I think it's a mindset shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Miguel, what do you think? I mean, like anything, I feel like it's something that the more I do it, the easier it is. I feel like the the first podcast I had, I like stopped everything I was doing like an hour beforehand and then just like checked and rechecked and rechecked every audio visual thing is working good. You know, I set up a Zoom call with myself just so I could see what my camera was seeing. And I'm like, all right, I need to move this thing. And then like, I'm like freaking out about all, everything. I'm just like, I must control every variable so that way I feel like, you know, more as comfortable as possible. And then I still felt like I was just a rambling mess. So honestly, it's just, you just. It's repetitiveness. I don't know, you just gotta do it. You just gotta do it until mm-hmm. you're comfortable with it. I mean, I don't, I can't think of anything I've ever done for the first time and felt 100% confident. And I mean, I mean, that would take an, an insane amount of hubris that I don't think anyone should possess. So just do it. I mean, so, some tips, I guess, is, uh, hide your self view if possible. Like if you're on, when you're on camera, so you're not hope overly focused on what you look like and uh, you don't distract yourself with your internal dialogue of like, oh, like my hair looks weird. Let me fix that. Because then I'll might throw you off your train of thought or whatever. It's just like, you are who you are, be you. It's fine. Yeah. Just let your hair be weird. <laughs> Pull up Emily's, Emily's yeah. note. I mean, I kind of rambled a little bit. I don't know if I even made sense. Do you want to read it out for the people on who are listening to the audio version? Yeah. She says, my answer is one, practice more. Two, practice self-love, which is incredibly important. Three, stop focusing on yourself, your performance, and focus on if you're doing your best. And if you're doing your best, ship it. I love that so much. Uh, my my problem, right, was self-love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like that's a huge yeah, that, that, that's my issue. And I think that, uh, by being really intentional about that and not caring what others think about you is honestly the most practical advice. It's sometimes hard to put into practice, but it is the best advice. Do you know what about, about self-love? I feel like making videos for as long as I have, like over the past seven years has been one of the keys for me to like self-acceptance, self-love, all of that. Like when I first started making YouTube videos, I would do a full face of makeup. I know you're looking at me now and thinking like, wow, why would she like choose to spend time (laughs) on doing that? Yeah, full face of makeup. I was like getting involved in the beauty and fashion space. So I felt like I had to look perfect or like look the best that I could. And then I would get down on myself because I never looked perfect, obviously. And, you know, never looked like the other girls who were, you know, fantastic at doing their makeup and had all the right lighting and things like that. And Slowly over time, I guess, like being confronted with my own face so much from editing videos, from like uploading, watching them back, checking that they're all good, that sort of thing. I got used to my own face and I like started to like my own face more, you know, and like recognize it as me. And now I like regularly show up on camera on streams with not a lick of makeup on my face, just like today. And I feel totally confident in doing that. And if you had told me that like six or seven years ago, I would have been like, (laughs) Yeah, right. There is no way that would ever happen. (laughs) And so Uh, that's been a nice side effect for me of of making YouTube videos is sort of like I was forced to love the way that I look. (laughs) I love that so much. I uh, laugh because Alexis and I once, we spoke at Alt Summit a few years ago, right? And they have lots of photographers, they come in and Alexis just has one of those faces where in between faces, she looks great. 
So like, she'll be talking, you know what I mean? Like she, it's like a frozen camera shot of her face looks beautiful. I don't, I have like one eye closed my, like nothing. You try to get a still shot of me during creator session. I'm going to take a screenshot right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you try to take a screenshot of me and I'm telling you it's not, it's not pretty, but I, that's such great advice. Charlie is just like becoming comfortable <laughs> becoming comfortable with your own face and doing creator sessions has kind of forced me to do that for sure. Yeah. Your resting face just always looks like you're in the middle of a sneeze, you know, it's terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but like, you know, what's funny is some of the weirdest advice to take is something I've tried before. And I feel like it's helped me. And that's to listen to yourself talk, whether it's just you record yourself for the sake of listening to yourself talk, or you watch a video where you've done something like this before or whatever, and just like analyze yourself. And there are so many things that you do that you don't realize, like how many times you say, um, how many times you say, mm -hmm. like, how many times you, you all those little idiosyncrasies that you just kind of do to pause for giving yourself that extra millisecond to think about what you want to say. And one thing that I've noticed is the more I allow myself to be okay with silences, even if they're just like little micro silences, it's easier on the listener to not have to filter out all your ums and uhs and likes. And it keeps them more engaged because whenever I'm listening to a speaker who's saying um and uh and like a lot, I get tired of listening to them. Mm -hmm. But if they just like, there I go, I said like, damn it. So <laughs> if they just stop talking, to collect their next sentence for a second, I feel it's more impactful because I'm not filtering out the useful parts with all of the, the, the bloat that they throw in there on accident. And I try to be more mindful of that. And, you know, it waxes and wanes and sometimes it's better than most, but it's way more awkward to be if you're uh and umming and uh a lot than if you just stop for a second. And it also kind of helps with inflection too, because you're not steamrolling over your, your pauses you're actually, you can use pauses for your benefit. Yeah, agreed. And that's something that people always ask when they're first getting started as well. They don't like the way they look on camera. They don't like the way they sound when they listen back. And like it, I think the advice is the same for both in that the more you do it, the more used to it you'll get. And you've got to just like appreciate yourself and all of your wonderful quirks. <laughs> and no one's judging you as badly as you're judging yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point to make. Uh, we have this question here from, from Katie. Is it better to start a blog first or a YouTube channel for content creation, wanting to focus on one at a time? I feel like my answer is going to be obvious. So I want you two to answer first. I mean, I think it depends on what your business model is. And obviously Charlie's answer is going to be YouTube, but I think it just depends on how you want to monetize and what your product is. Um, I think there's use cases for both being first. Because if you do a website, then socials can drive people to your website. Like there's a lot of different ways that you can drive people to your website to buy your product. But if your monetization model is going to be, you know, more YouTube centric, then obviously YouTube. That's a tough question to answer because I think that it, it matters what your ultimate goal from a monetization method is. What do you think, Migs? To be boring, I kind of have to agree with that. I think the, and we've talked about this before, is just the, the, what you're doing and the medium are usually pretty married. I feel like certain things that people do are going to lend themselves better to something like if you are a writer, maybe YouTube isn't your jam and more blog and more social media outreach and things can be curated. And some people are better off the cuff and live. Some people are better on camera or more comfortable, more themselves. 
I mean, it depends on what you're doing, who you are, what you like. Yeah. You you can try different things and see how it's received. And, you know, you can change that and alter that based on the kind of feedback that you're getting. But I don't think it's a bad idea to try anything if you think it's going to be fun or it's going to be a good idea. Or I mean, honestly, just be okay with doing things that are fun, not necessarily strategic. The right or, thing. Or, yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Just Katie, I'm Curious if you want to add any context to that. What is your business model? Tell us a little bit more about your business and maybe we can answer that question a little bit more specifically. Yeah. Or even like what audience you're going after too, right? Because I think that's different as well. What I've loved about YouTube is it's the discovery platform for me in a way that my blog never got as much reach. Like people come and read my blog because they found me on YouTube, then they follow me on social media and join my email list and, you know, and then they read my blog posts. The blog wasn't the discovery point for the most part. Like there's some good SEO articles or whatever, or some get shared, but YouTube, it's kind of like the discovery is built in if you do it right. So that's why I think video is cool when you're, when you're getting started. But I'd agree as well that it goes with whatever you feel most excited about creating, because it's hard to get started and it's hard to keep consistent once you get started. And so if it's something that you're enjoying, then you're more likely to keep going with it. Maybe though, putting this question in the context of like an example, like if you were, for example, if you're a business coach, right. And you create Mm -hmm. a bunch of content on YouTube, you have to point them, like you're giving them, you know, like the basics, right. In your YouTube, like that's your, your content is focused on driving essentially new leads you have to be able to send them somewhere else to complete the funnel, right? To convert somebody who's a casual follower into somebody who becomes a client. So for me, my thought is having your website done or like you're from a monetization method, if like in that way you're a coach and then using YouTube to get people there, like Charlie had said. Oh, but here she, you answered the question actually. Yeah, it looks like Katie does graphic design has been wanting to position herself as an expert with content. So yeah, I think that I mean, clearly there's a big hunger for design content on YouTube and it's, I found it great for search. Like people search how to do a certain thing in design and your video could be the thing to show up. But great point, Haley. like you said, I, you should never just do YouTube. Like you need to combine it with getting that audience somewhere else to your website, to your email list, because that algorithm, it's a bitch. And I just used our <laughs> swear word <laughs> for <Yeah>. the episode. <laughs> Speaking of swear words, you guys, I like the F word and I got for Christmas... I got an awesome cup from one of my coworkers for a secret Santa, and I'm not going to say it. But well, you have to because what about the people? Oh listening? yeah, I guess I forgot <laughs> it's a podcast. So it says uh, this is from Lulabel Pottery. Shout out! Oh to God, me. here we go. <laughs> Shout out to Mark. I am not saying the actual word here, you guys, but it says shut s h u duh shut duh cup, and it's a coffee mug. I'm sorry, you guys, but this is just the best coffee mug ever. She's been going on about it for weeks. Like, that's how great this cup is. Like, yeah, great gift. Well done, Mark. <laughs> yeah, good job, Mark. <laughs> and it, the beautiful thing is it's when your kids read it. Exactly. You know, that's going to be a great, great, it's going to be great when we do parties again, you know, when they're reading <laughs> Mom's Cup. And they're like, well, Mom's <laughs> Cup says it. And, you know, you get to be parent of the year. It'd be great. Like, Mom, what does fuck up mean? You know, (laughs) we'll tell you when you're older. (laughs) It's what I hope you don't become. All right. 
Yeah. Shall we wrap things up? I feel like we've reached that point. Um, but before we end today's episode, I really want to encourage everybody to head on over to iamacreator.co and check out this giveaway we're doing at the moment. We've made a second edition of our coffee table book at ConvertKit. It's a book that features 15 stories of creators and how they overcame the hurdles and the dreams that they reached and the challenges that they faced along the way. And it's a great freaking book. And I'm biased, but I also think it's true. And we're giving it away for free, but there's a bit of a catch. You don't enter to get a free copy for yourself. You enter to give it to someone else. We wanted to like, you know, spread the love in the creator community that way. So I want to add to this though, real quick, this entire book was written. The vast, vast majority was written by our very own Issa Adney, who's our storyteller at ConvertKit. And for those of you guys who have not read her stories or, you know, read any of her writings, she is a really emotional writer and you feel you're so invested in the storytelling and then specifically with the creator, like it's like you're on a journey alongside of her. So I'd really encourage you guys to read some of our content that we put out that's by Issa. She just does such a, a wonderful job. And this book was her baby. Like she deserves for sure a shout out. Absolutely. Yeah. It's fantastic stuff. It's like I said, just a great quality book, super inspiring stories. And you can give one to a creator who you believe in all the details for how to enter that. It just involves posting to your Twitter or your Instagram account. So like Haley would do Instagram because she doesn't have a Twitter apparently. Um. (laughs) I have to though, because you guys, Amy Vitale, who's like my favorite person on the planet in 2020, she retweeted my post. Because Haley nominated Amy to receive a copy of the book. That's the the connection there. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like a push. I was like, all right, maybe Haley, you got to get on the, you know, the tweet bandwagon, Twitter, whatever. (laughs) You guys get what I'm saying. Oh, whatever. I'm just being sus. Okay. (laughs) You can't just say all the words and think that you're using them right. I mean, I guess eventually you'll accidentally say it right, but. Uh, All right, friends. All right. Yeah. Go into this giveaway, please take part. And we've had a few people ask how they can get a copy of the book from themselves and we will be listing it for sale later on. But I will say that if you nominate someone, you might just get something. That's all I'm saying. And so we'll leave it there. (laughs) All right. Uh, Good chatting with you both. (laughs) All right. Bye, friends. Ladies, it's been great. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week. And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you want to join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern. This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creator journey.